0: Beloved congregation of our great God and Savior, there are many areas of our lives that we would perhaps say, well, we're a force to be reckoned with. We are very confident in these areas. Perhaps it's in the area of business. We might be great business people, great in making decisions, great in getting things done, being organized. We might even go so far as to say, we're excellent parents. We do a good job in the home. We're strong husbands or wives. We're hard workers, employees. Even students will say, well, we, we work really hard and we do really well in school, and we're very confident in ourselves in, the, in these ways. And then there are some other areas where we would say and have to confess that we're, we, we, we feel kind of inadequate. We're not so strong in that area. We're, we're not so much up to the task. And especially, there's the area of our calling as Christians in this world, and especially when it comes to things like defending the faith, speaking up, correcting others. You you take us away from an atmosphere like this, you put us, plunk us down in a situation where we stand out and stand apart, we're the only Christian there, and we're out of our comfort zone and we don't do so well. We wouldn't confess the same kind of confidence in ourselves. I- imagine for, an in- for, for, uh, for instance, for a moment, uh, if you've never been in a situation like that, imagine then being in a room full of very loud and aggressive critics of Christianity, and you're the only Christian in that room. You can imagine that, that you would feel a little bit, at least, intimidated by this. Or or what if you're challenged to answer the hard, sticky questions of an unbeliever? Some of those uh, questions that can come as we say out of left field and you're kind of left scratching your head, well I I really don't know the answer to that. Maybe I don't know my Bible enough. Or you're at a family gathering and as in all families we always have a liberal relative, an uncle or brother or whatever it may be and we're at this family gathering and they're raising up all these liberal um, questions and, and, and talk, quoting all these books and, and authors that we are unfamiliar with and that seem way out to lunch. Uh, if, if, you, if you can imagine yourself in this situation or you've been in this situation, you know that these are not exactly our best moments. These don't exactly stand out in our minds as times when we really excelled as Christians, where we were not uh, completely confident in either how we conducted ourselves or how we did at the end of the conversation. And and if we haven't faced these situations before, then beloved of God, be assured that we definitely will one of these days because our our world, uh, this is not any new news to you, but uh, our world is is very, very intolerant and becoming more so uh, with anything that even smells like Christianity. The truth is, about the world and culture in which we live, is that the holy people, the ones who are really revered in our day, are the ones who protest global warming and who, de- who actually defend abortion and applaud abortion. Uh, the, the ones who are loudly pro-LGBTQ, those are the ones who are seen as the, as the saints and people who are deserving of great reverence and respect today. Christians, not so much and of course it's not going to get any easier. As the second coming of Christ approaches there will only be more and more opposition. The question for us, and this is what our text addresses this morning, is how are we to conduct ourselves in these situations? Are we to cower in fear? Living in a culture as this, are we to maybe really consider a commune somewhere in the mountains, far away from, every, from everything and everyone that's called the world? Do we segregate ourselves from anyone and anything that disagrees with us or, or criticizes us? Our text, of course, answers this morning with a resounding no. Paul reminds Timothy, in fact, to fan into flame the gift of God in you. And, and the Greek word means to stir up. Make it burn hotter, as a matter of fact. If you think, for instance, of the uh, when you see on the news, uh, there, there are forest fires somewhere, sometimes in BC, sometimes even in Alberta, Australia, different parts of the US, and quite often they say that there are these strong winds that are whipping up the fire, stoking it up, and make it burn, burn, making it burn even higher and hotter. That's the sense of the Greek word here. Paul is basically saying to Timothy, stir up the gift inside of you. Uh, Fan it in the flame. Preach more boldly and increasingly. Pastor, out of your conviction that this is God's calling to you, don't give in to nervousness. Well, uh, how would uh, Timothy do that? Paul tells him in verse 7 here that the God who has saved us and the God who lives in us has equipped us to teach and defend the gospel. In verse seven, he says to to Timothy, for God has not, or God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so this is a word that Timothy must take to heart and a word that we must take to heart in our day, in our culture, in our various situations today as well. Our theme as we look at 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 is this, our Savior God reminds us believers of the inner qualities given to us. Our Savior God reminds us believers of the inner qualities given to us. We'll see in the first place the need for these qualities And in the second place, how they benefit us, how these qualities benefit us. But as our Savior God reminds us of the inner qualities he has given to us, we see in the first place the need for these qualities. Why do we need these qualities of love and wisdom and self-control? Well, the simple answer is because of our old sinful nature, which still lives in us. We're still in the flesh. And... Christian experience tells us that no matter how many successes and triumphs the Lord gives us, you put us in a difficult situation again, and we're ready to cry, Woe is me, very, very quickly. We're very quick to revert to how inadequate I am. And yet, we're reminded in this text that God has given us, has not given us a spirit of fear. It's with us, and yet, He is not. Given us a spirit of fear. Now, what, is, what does this phrase mean? By spirit here, Paul means our inner disposition, our attitude. He's speaking here of the temperament of a Christian. Uh, and so, spirit here could be uh, translated nature as well. And the fear that Paul describes here can be described not so much as a shuddering, frightened fear. You know, if you picture the disciples in the boat with Jesus, remember when the, wave, uh, the winds are, are, are tossing that boat to and fro and the waves are crashing against the boat and it says that they are terrified. That's not the kind of fear that uh, Paul is talking about here. That kind of fear is normally you, uh, described with a Greek word phobos, which means fa- uh, fear, uh, from which we get the, the English word uh, phobia. That's a teeth-shattering kind of fear. The kind of fear that Paul is warning about he, uh, t- Timothy about here, uh, and the Greek word is dailias. It's a different word. Uh, could be better translated timidity. This is the kind of fear that makes us hesitant. It makes us very self-conscious in certain situations. It's the kind of fear that might be uh, that might be used to describe a person who we say is a kind of a shy, introverted kind of a person. Uh, in an, in in order to study at Mid-America Reform Seminary in, in uh, Dyer, Indiana, I had to, every three months, renew my, my Canadian uh, status, and so I had to go back and forth across the, across the U.S. border uh, very often. And uh, as you know, as anybody who has traveled across the borders, you know that these guys can be very intimidating, and even though I had all my papers correctly, my heart would always be pounding like a jackhammer as I'm approaching that window. Uh, they made me feel as if I was going to the principal's office again and again, time after time. That's the kind of fear that Paul is talking about here. And there's reason to realize, to, 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 to believe that the personality, the personality of, of uh, young Pastor Timothy leaned more to the shy, to the fearful. Timothy seems to have been the kind of young man who was very easily intimidated in certain situations. Part of the reason was because he was on the younger side. In uh, 1 Timothy 4 verse 12, Paul tells him, uh, or writes to the church there, let no one despise your youth. And Timothy would have been kind of like the young seminary student who comes to work in a new congregation, an established congregation. And he's very conscious of his age, He's very conscious of his inexperience, and so he feels very intimidated to to pastor or even to preach in an established church. In, In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 10 as well, Paul writes to the Christians, if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear. And so we get the impression that Timothy was very bashful. He was easily intimidated. He was kind of an introvert. And Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, remember Timothy, if we can paraphrase what he's saying here, God has not given us a spirit of fear. And so fight that tendency in you to be unnerved by people. Stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And we have to realize how important it was for Timothy to be reminded of this. As we said, he was young. But it's also, um, we have to remember that the times and the culture in, lit, in, in which she was living could be very dangerous for Christians. There was on the one hand false teachers which were, uh, who were infiltrating the Church of Jesus Christ, men who were, uh, made themselves out to be super intellectuals, mighty talkers saturated with Greek philosophy and the Mosaic law professing to be wise And so we can understand why a young man would feel a little bit nervous around such people. Add to that the fact that to preach Christ in that day was literally a dangerous calling because anyone caught propagating the Christian gospel could be arrested, they could be flogged, they could be stoned to death, even executed. And in fact, many were. Paul himself is writing this letter from a prison in Rome. He speaks of his chains in verse 16, chapter 1. In chapter 2, verse 9, he speaks of suffering as an evildoer. Listen as well to chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 in his letter. Chapter four, verses six and seven, Paul writes, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And so Paul is, he understands that the end of his life is approaching. He knows what is going to happen. His execution is just around the corner most likely by beheading, was not far down the road. And this kind of hatred for the Christian gospel and its ministers would not be over any time soon. As a matter of fact, in chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, Paul writes to Timothy, (coughs) indeed, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so it was not like the persecution um, of Christians and opposition to the gospel would be over anytime soon. In fact, history records that the emperors of Rome, and we're talking about men like Nero and Trajan and Marcus Aurelius, These emperors of Rome and many more of them, they beheaded, they burned at the stake, and they fed to lions many Christians without mercy. And so Timothy and all Christians needed this reminder that God has not given us a spirit of fear, as do we. Now, maybe for now, we don't face these kinds of physical threats against our very lives and bodies, but we still live in a world that is very hostile to the message of Christ, We live in a time and a culture where people, they don't want to hear it. They they don't want anybody to make them feel bad. And we live in a time where people actually feel um, and are convinced of that they are uh, intellectually superior to people like Christians. And the worst thing, the worst crime perhaps that you can commit today in society is to attempt to make anybody feel bad about themselves, worse to make them feel any kind of guilt or to make them feel ashamed of the lifestyle that they're living. That's probably the worst thing you can do today, which is at the core of bringing the gospel to someone. You have to uh, first show them that we have sinned against a holy God. We are guilty of all kinds of abominations before him. People don't want to hear that. The rallying cry of of human beings today is is rather, I'm a good person. I do all these wonderful things. I'm a good person. Don't tell me I'm bad. People hate that today. And so neighbors, co-workers, family members, friends and relatives, people we would normally uh, feel free to evangelize with and to, can actually be quite intimidating today. And that's why we need this reminder, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Or or to put this another way, the Lord Jesus lives in our hearts by his Holy Spirit today. This same Jesus who destroyed, remember, every argument that Satan threw at him in the wilderness. This is the same Jesus who lives in you and me, who made a whip of cords and drove out from his father's house those who had turned it into a den of robbers. This is the same Jesus who said, You have heard it said, but I say to you, who was not intimidated by the religious leaders of his time, or even the traditions that had come down, which people feared more than anything else. This was the same Jesus who called the religious leaders of his day, in fact, whitewashed tombs, hypocrites, blind guides, and serpents. The same Jesus beloved, lives in you and me, even in our nervousness. Keep in mind though, that Paul is speaking to those who are converted, and that's the us here. When he says, God has given us, he's speaking to those who are converted, who have the spirit of Christ living in their hearts. And so if we are believers, that is, if we have truly repented of our sins, if we have truly trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, His Holy Spirit lives in us, and He enables us to be bold and to be confident in our day in spite of the context in which we live. Now, let me ask you one more thing before we move to our second point. If this is true, and we say, okay, yeah, I'm normally intimidated by people around me, but the Spirit of Christ lives in my heart, so I need not fear, let me ask this question. What causes us as Christians to fear, even though God has not given us a spirit of fear? And here's a simple answer to that. The reason why we get so intimidated, why we may be so afraid of, of others around us, where uh, we are not, we are not um, willing to, to speak the gospel, to call people to the mat, the reason for this is because quite often more often than not it's because we ourselves are not growing in our faith let me put this to you if the last time you studied christian doctrine was in your profession of faith class or catechism class then your sword is dull my friend if we are not reading our bible daily not in a rote fashion, not in a routine way, but if we are spending time feeding on God's Word, if we are not doing that daily, if we are not praying earnestly and honestly and sincerely and passionately that the Spirit of Christ would fill us and help us to grow in our faith, giving us wisdom and strength, if we are under the influence of only shallow Christians, if we are walking in the counsel of the ungodly, then that's all the reason why we will be very easily intimidated by this world and why we will possess a spirit of fear, even though God has not given us a spirit of fear. The boldness and courage comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit living in our hearts and us led by him growing in knowledge and conviction of the truth of the Holy Scriptures, of the truth of the power and presence and mercy of God in Christ Jesus. And so instead, we are to be continually seeking to be filled more and more with the Holy Spirit. This is something that we ought to be doing daily in our lives, and especially on the Lord's Day as we gather for worship. But as our Savior God reminds us of the inner qualities he has given to us, we see in the second place how these qualities benefit us. And the inner qualities, of course, given by the Holy Spirit are mentioned here by Paul, power, love, and self-control. And so let's take a moment to ask, what do these mean? First of all, power. What does it mean that the spirit has given us a, um, that God has given us a spirit of power? Well, this power um, is not... The, the, the power that's referred to here is not physical strength, kind of what God gave to Samson, but spiritual strength. And again, this is the product of Jesus living in us by His Holy Spirit. And by the way, it's always been that way. God has always, not only called, but equipped His saints to do what He wills. I was How was Noah able to keep building the ark when others around him scoffed and mocked? How were the prophets able to continue to speak boldly when their own countrymen, the people they were sent to by God to speak to, their own countrymen said to them, Oh, just be quiet. We don't want to hear what you have to say. How did they keep standing up and talking to their people? By the Spirit of Christ living in them. How were the apostles and early disciples able to preach Christ in such a hostile environment, saturated with Judaism and Greek philosophy and even idolatry? Think about the boldness of Peter on the day of Pentecost. And this, by the way, was a man who had just recently denied Jesus his Lord three times in fear of his own life. And yet he stood up on the day of Pentecost and he preached boldly to what we might describe as a hostile crowd. Or think of the disciples when they scattered when Jesus was arrested. And they were assembled in fear behind locked doors. And when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they began to preach boldly and speak about Jesus continuously. And when the Jewish authorities called them in, arrested them, and they told them in no uncertain terms, stop preaching this Jesus. What was their response? They said, no, we won't. We must obey God, not man. How was Polycarp able to stand in the Roman arena, about to be burned at the stake, and then declare to the crowds as he is making his way away with the atheists? Or think of Martin Luther who stood before councils and declared that man is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. One man against the entire Roman Catholic Church with its hierarchy of popes and cardinals and priests. How have Christians throughout these last days, especially those in foreign countries who face persecution, how have they stood their ground and even accepted their fate? and proclaimed Jesus as the only Savior. Why? Because the Lord, our God, our Savior, has given us a spirit of power, spiritual strength to be able to stand strong and stand fast and stand apart in any and every situation. And brothers and sisters, how we need that. Because all of us, by spiritual nature, if we are honest, are spiritual weaklings. And any of us would admit that if God took a hands-off approach to everything and just left it strictly up to us, not one of us would have the courage nor the perseverance to live the Christian life. Say no to personal sin? I can't. I'm too weak and the devil is too strong, we say. Defend the truth before those who say, ah, that's just old-fashioned. Before those who say, you know, really you Christians are really backward and ignorant because science has eliminated the need for religion. We hardly see ourselves capable to stand fast and stand apart and stand boldly in those times, do we? In and of ourselves. Speak of Christ with strangers. Go to a fellow member, a fellow believer, and counsel them who is caught up in a sin. Oh, no, no, not me. I can't do it. That's not me. That's somebody else's gift. That's not me. All of us are prone to take that kind of an attitude. And that's why we need this remem- uh, to be reminded of this, that God has given us a spirit of power. Now, thankfully, at least for now, we live in a country where there is freedom of religion. But we have to understand that the dark clouds are forming in the distance. And our right to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ is being attacked on a daily basis on every front and will continue. The gates of Hades, even though they will never overcome the Church of Christ... They keep coming and coming. They keep trying to overcome. Think about, again, the, the culture and the context in which we live today. To say to someone publicly, hey, do you know that you're a sinner? Do you know that you have no hope in and of yourself apart from the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ? Do you know that you are in need of reconciliation with God? You need forgiveness for your sins. Do you know that to say these things publicly to people today is called hate speech? And people will call you bigoted. They will say to you that these are just remnants of a past age. but certainly not applicable to people today. We're a lot more evolved, they'll say. And so keep that foolishness to yourself. You know, it, it used to be that people would say, okay, you know, we had gotten to this point in culture where people would say, okay, you know what? Leave the church people to do their thing and we'll do our thing. It's not going to be that way much longer, folks. The culture is already trying to get their hands into the church and to change things. And the day will come when they will take the fight to us. And they will say to us, you can't say those things. You can't preach those things. You can't read those words from that Bible. You can't tell people these things. That's when it would be good to remember the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. You know, the the sad thing is, you know, and every time I have a conversation with somebody who says, you know, we just need to stand united as the church and we need to declare to the government so-and-so, I say, you know what? what makes me really sad is that there is no unity in the Church of Jesus Christ today. You know, uh, there are are pressures and stresses that come even from other church communities, other faith circles. You know, we we live in a day and age where you know, the liberal movement will even accuse you, people like us, conservative reformed people, of being backward, you know, they'll say, oh, you guys still sing psalms and hymns from a songbook? You know, you, you still have an organ and a piano in your church? Your, your pastor still preaches long, those long, boring sermons about the Bible and, and uh, Bible passages? You still read the Ten Commandments? I can't believe that. Your, your worship sounds really boring. I mean, People from Christian circles will say that to us and our children today. Well, first of all, we have to remember that our worship is not boring. We strive to be biblical, we strive to be reverent to the Lord our God. And so, you know, don't let the flashy worship styles out there intimidate you ever. Don't have a spirit of fear in the face of these things. The Lord has given us a spirit of power by which we ought to be able to stand firmly, look people in the eye. And say yes, we still so- still sing songs, oh, uh, psalms and hymns in our churches, because we want to glorify the Lord our God. We want to sing songs that are reverent to Him and not self-promoting. And we need to hear the law proclaimed. We have no truck with that, because we want to know. We want to be reminded how sinful we are and how much we need Jesus Christ. And yes our pastors still preach sermons about our sin and about God's grace because we need to hear that. Our pastor may not be as hip as yours. He may not preach with uh, the cut-out jeans and have a, cup of, uh, a Tim Hortons cup on, on his little uh, glass pulpit there. Our pastor, truth be told, may not know the difference between a Frappuccino and Al Pacino. But that's Okay because when we come to church, we want to be reverent. and We want a holy God set before us. Don't let the worship styles and the criticisms intimidate you. God has given us a spirit of power. You know, again, we need the spirit of power because sometimes we get um, challenges, stresses even from our own fellow church members. Again, not everybody's on the same page, not everybody's in the same position. And sometimes, especially for, the, for young people, young adults, we find uh, challenges because uh, you know, we have certain standards we have set for ourselves, certain principles that we live by, and we, are, um, we live by these because we believe that this is what the Bible teaches. These are the fences that I will not uh, cross or push. And yet, you have the rest of the crowd saying, you know, why not? Let's go see that movie. Okay? It, 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 yeah, okay, it's rated 14A or 18A, but so what? That doesn't make us any less Christians. And the rest of the gang wants to go, and it's, of course, whenever things return to something of normalcy, but, you know, the rest of the gang will come up with an idea of. Uh, and you know, I wish I could say that I was making this up, but this is from, pers- from experience as a pastor so many years. Somebody comes up with this idea that, uh, let's have this stag or at party at this nightclub, or well, let's all fly to Vegas and live it up for the weekend. And you, as someone who has certain principles and standards that you live by, you're, certain- you're suddenly put in a very awkward position. Because to say no to them, you know, first thing you think, well, what are they going to think about me? They think I'm, I'm not cool. I'll never be asked to go anywhere again or to hang out with the, the other young people anymore. They'll think that I think I'm a better Christian than them. Someone might even accuse me of legalism. This is your legalist. You don't believe that God saves us by grace? Why worry? It's not as if our good works save us anyway so let's do it let's let's just do it let's live a little even for the weekend but again congregation we are not to be intimidated by these things we're not to be tempted or compromise or change our message because God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power it's a scary world we'll admit that but God has given us spiritual strength to face off against any opposition any sin Even our own personal sin, the the internal attacks that we deal with, the spiritual warfare that we deal with in our own life. Now we have our sinful nature rising up and saying, you know what, just be quiet. Don't say anything in this situation because you'll only get embarrassed. Or when Satan whispers in your ear, you better run because you're not going to win here. Don't be foolish. When nervousness and confusion arise in your heart, Speak to yourself and say, no, I'm not going to run. I'm not going to be quiet in this situation. I'm not going to be silenced, because the Lord has given me a spirit of power. Paul also writes to Timothy that, he is, that God has given us a spirit of love. What kind of love is he talking about here? He's talking about biblical Christ-like love, which is the kind of love, and the best place, I think, to learn about what biblical love means is read First Corinthians 13. And it describes there a kind of love that does not put ourselves first place, but second to other people, maybe even third or fourth. It's the kind of love that does good to someone even though they are not deserving of that love. It's the kind of love that does not raise up one person over another. That is, um, uh, to to use the word of James, uh, it does not show partiality. It doesn't choose favorites. It treats everybody the same way. God has given us this kind of spirit of love. This, in fact, is the kind of love that was displayed by God the Father when he gave his only begotten son to die for sinners like you and me. And yet gave us the promise that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the kind of love being described here, the love that God has also given us for others that Jesus possessed for us. When knowing all that he was going to face at Calvary, he set his face like flint, Luke says, toward Jerusalem and continued the course in order to save us. Jesus loved those who are not deserving of His love. And we hear that and we say, well, I, I, I can't love that way. I can't love my spouse like that when he or she is just not uh, responding and behaving like a, the, the Christian husband and wife that they ought to be. I, I can't love strangers like that. I can't love sinners in that way. I can't love our political leaders that way. But again, listen, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love. And so what we instead have to be doing is drawing on that love, cultivating that love, praying for more of that love in us, and show it to others whom God brings into our path so that they may be one for Christ. That kind of love is the kind of love that does not that does not treat people as they deserve. It loves everyone equally. And then Paul adds that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of self-control. Some translations say wisdom. The Greek word refers to self-discipline or soberness, sober thinking. The sense is that the spirit gives us discernment in every situation and clarity of thought. And it's a blessing to us so that when we worry, and we all tend to uh, all have that tendency to worry and stress about uh, the, the culture we live in, the state of the economy, the state of the church today, we might think about our own salvation, the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to have sober thoughts, to have discernment in those situations. Because in those situations, we can then remember by the sobered thinking that God gives, that we're in God's hands. He is sovereign. And we are in His loving and providential hands. He is working all things together for our good, for those who love Him. And those whom the Father has given to the Son can never be snatched out of His hand. Nothing can ever separate us from God, our Father's love. And He has promised to give us the words that we need to speak them in whatever situation we may find ourselves And so God gives us that spirit of self-control, that soberness of thought, that discernment in whatever difficulties we may be called to live in. And so, fellow Christians, stir up your gifts. Do not succumb to fear because God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power, love and self-control. Do not even be intimidated by your own sin, much less this, this, this sinful world. Don't doubt. Hold fast to what you believe. Know that God will never allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. He will never allow us to be overwhelmed by the troubles of this world. He will never allow us to be overpowered by our circumstances. Start with a growing trust in Jesus and be sure that God our Father will give us and he has given us all that we need to run the race that is before us. Now, let me ask you this final question as we close. Again, are you included in the us that Paul mentions here? In other words, are you a believer? Are you a child of God? Are you converted? How do you know? How can we know? Well, we can ask ourselves this question this morning. In light of this text, do I see power and love and self-control in my own life? Am I led by the Holy Spirit or am I still being led by my flesh? And you see, before we even think about living out the Christian life, we first have to think about being a Christian. We have to be Christian. That means that we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior and we have surrendered our lives to him as our Lord. It means that we know that our sins are forgiven because of what Christ Jesus has accomplished on the cross, and we have the comfort of knowing that we are presently reconciled to God, adopted by Him, and through Jesus Christ, an ear of eternal life. And so, if you haven't yet, and if your desire is to live a life free from fear and filled with a spirit, Of love and power and self-control at this very moment at this very hour open the door of your heart to Jesus he stands at the door and he knocks lay aside your worry your fear and your guilt believe in Jesus Christ and live in freedom